This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger, powered by Pastano by Sprinkler. On today's show, Brian talks with Amy Trask, a 26-year veteran of the Oakland Raiders organization and current CBS sports analyst. And he looks over and he said, oh, Amy, I swear at Amy, but I don't consider her a woman. Now, with Sports Business Radio, here's Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show dedicated to covering the business side of sports. We're happy to be powered by our friends at Sprinkler. Follow them online at sprinkler.com. That's S-P-R-I-N-K-L-R.com. My featured guest on the show this week, someone I've wanted to have on for a long time now, Amy Trask. She is the first woman to become a front office executive in the NFL. She served as the team's CEO from 1997 to 2013. She's written a book about those experiences. It's called You Negotiate Like a Girl, Reflections on a Career in the National Football League. Looking forward to having Amy Trask join me to talk about being a woman in sports, dealing with Al Davis, having a long career in the NFL, and we'll also talk about some other topical NFL news during our conversation, so stay tuned for that. I'm joined in studio by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs? How's it going? It's good, man. And I, uh, Amy Trask was brilliant. Great interview. Uh, it's solid gold the whole way through. It's great stories. And <laughs> you can just picture her and Al going at it, which was, you were, we were talking about before we went on the air. But, uh, the book uh, sounds like a great read. I haven't read it yet. You're going to send it to me. So I'm excited to hear it or read it and uh, stick around for the interview. It's great. Yeah. It's really a good book. Again, you negotiate like a girl reflections on a career in the National Football League. You can get it at Amazon and bookstores, but insightful read. Let's get to some, uh, headlines of the week. So ESPN. Last Monday drew an 8.3 overnight rating for the Eagles 29-14 win over the Bears. Griggs, it was the lowest Monday night football rating since 2009. And this is becoming a trend now with the NFL. I know it's only two weeks into the season, but CBS, Fox is pretty flat. CBS and ESPN and NBC are down with their ratings of the NFL. And you wonder, is this the beginning of a trend? Because the high bar has been set in the past by all the people who have watched the NFL. Is it because Peyton Manning retired? He was one of the faces of the NFL. Tom Brady has been suspended, so he hasn't played yet. Is it political season where people are paying attention to other things other than the NFL, more so than in a normal year? It's going to be interesting to see, do the numbers go back up or does this trend of a downward, I wouldn't call it a spiral, but downward projection does it continue? And it doesn't look good for next Monday night because you've got the first presidential debate. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and experts are projecting that those debates are going to break all kinds of viewership records. They're both household names. They're both big on social media. It's a showdown of two presidential titans. And people are worried, hey, Monday Night Football could be down 20%, some people are saying. The game is between the Saints and the Falcons, so not two huge powerhouses, more of a regional battle. The numbers could go down for ESPN even more next Monday. Yeah, I was kind of shocked, too, when I saw that 8-point, uh, whatever Monday night rating was, um, under 10. I mean, how, right. how when has it been? Like you said, 2009. So that was kind of shocking. But I think the points you hit on, I think it is uh, I think it is the quarterback stuff. I mean, there's so many rookie quarterbacks and names. I've, you're like, who's this guy throwing the ball out there? I think that helps, I think, or hurts it, because I think the uh, big-name quarterbacks is really what draws a lot of people to watch, like you said, with Ma- Manning and, and Peyton. And let's face it, the Brady. Monday night matchups in the last two years have not been great. No, and the, the Eagles-Bears game was a ho-hum game. Yeah. 
you know, if you wanted to see Carson Wentz, I guess you tuned in. And yes, those are two big markets, Philly and Chicago. But outside of that, it doesn't seem like many people cared. Um, another game that got a decent rating, but I, I had some thoughts on it. The Vikings regular season home opener at U.S. Bank Stadium. Nice shiny stadium, yeah. the windows open and close. But what in the heck? Adrian Peterson gets hurt. They carry him. They don't put him on a cart. They carry him through a bar area back to the <laughs> locker room. I'm watching this going, you have like the newest stadium in the NFL. Can you get the guy a cart? Can you figure out if a player gets hurt how to get him to the locker room without taking him through the bar? What in the heck is going on? Were you having the same thoughts? That was very funny, too, because you're like, did you just did you just carry him through a bar? Is there right. a burger sitting yeah. there? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you you expect like someone to come up and hey, you want some French fries yeah, yeah, or exactly. have a drink? <laughs> I know it hurts. Here, have a beer. Like it just it, it was a weird visual. Yeah. So uh, again, state of the art stadium. I think they need to get that figured out. <laughs> yeah. I've opened new venues before, and I know after the first game you've got to work out some of the sure. the kinks. But uh, that was something that. Here's your best player, and you've got two guys carrying him a long distance. It was like the Old West or something, yeah. and they had no transportation. Put him on a horse or something, even. <laughs> uh, Twitter made their debut last Thursday night. Jets and Buffalo Bills, they reached 2.3 million people combined. They had an average viewership of uh, 243,000. This was the big thing for me, though. The average time spent watching the game on Twitter and engaging... 22 minutes. So it shows that's a big number because mm-hmm. when you get people to your platform, you want them to stay and you want them to engage. And the fact that people who went on went on for 22 minutes, I think that's a very good sign for Twitter. It's a very good sign for the NFL. The stream was crystal clear. I love watching the game. I watched on Apple TV on my app. I watched on my phone. I watched on my computer. I like seeing the game. And I like seeing on the right-hand side the stream of tweets. Now, the one big criticism that people had was, I want my own timeline. There was like a Twitter-mandated timeline, so you're inheriting that timeline. People want their own timeline. So it will be interesting to see if that gets worked out. The other thing that I know you and I were looking forward to that I didn't see very much of, maybe I just missed it, I didn't see the Periscope before, Mm -hmm. you know, give me some on-the-field stuff, some behind-the-scenes stuff, give me some post-game stuff. I didn't see that, so maybe that will change, but I think those are the two biggest areas of improvement that are needed going forward. Yeah, I agree, and we talked about it last show about the Periscope, because that's that's, I think that's the cool part of it, is, you know, down the field, behind-the-scenes stuff, locker room stuff, um, Adrian Peterson's bar that he walked through, you know, (laughs) things like that. But I agree, the stream was cool, and the the Twitter, you know, watching people react and like the and commenting on this, that's pretty cool and a, and a cool aspect. And 22 minutes is a long... Think about when you go on Twitter. I mean, most people, I scan through the right. last hour maybe and then yeah. I, I move on. That's not 22 minutes, it's five minutes. So, yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, when you watched it, it, it was really one of those moments, I have to say, where you're like, this is going to change how people watch sports. Mm-hmm. They're going to watch on their mobile devices, on their phone or their iPad. You're going to be able to engage in real time. Like I said, they have those few things they need to work out. There's 10 games that they're broadcasting, so they have nine more. I'm sure they'll get it figured out, but the stream was solid. Yeah. That's the thing. When people go on and they see buffering or they see a bad connection, they're like, oh, I'm going to go watch on TV. I'm losing patience. But the fact that it was a really clear, sharp picture, I think will make a difference for a lot of people. Those are our headlines for the week. Coming up next... 
former Oakland Raiders CEO Amy Trask. She is one of the brightest uh, executives out there. She works for CBS Sports now. She has a new book out called You Negotiate Like a Girl, Reflections on a Career in the National Football League. We will speak with her next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. Powered by Sprinkler. SBR will be right back. At Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with Sprinkler, the leader in connecting teams with their fans. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, provide in-game Twitter voting, create a dynamic social media lounge, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website. Sprinkler can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. With Sprinkler, teams can take social media posts from fans and display them across any screen in any venue. The cutting-edge visual displays empower fans to tell their stories in a new and compelling way. Teams like the New York Yankees, Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Sprinkler to engage their fans and connect with them at the speed of social. On top of its many features, using the Sprinkler visual display platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorship. As an example, the LA Kings sell sponsor space to Delta and other clients and run the ads using Sprinkler. Want to learn more about bringing your brand, fans, and social data to life? Schedule a demo today. Go to sprinkler.com. That's S-P-R-I-N-K-L-R.com. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And Sprinkler gets it better than anyone. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Amy Trask. She spent 26 years working for the NFL's Raiders. You can follow her on Twitter at Amy Trask. She's become one of my favorite follows. Amy, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. It's both a privilege and a pleasure. So you became the first woman in a front office in the NFL. You served as the team CEO from 1997 to 2013. You've written a book about your experiences. It's called You Negotiate Like a Girl, Reflections on a Career in the National Football League. I've read some of the book, some very poignant stories in the book. At what point did you decide, I'm going to write a book? Well, um, you know, when people ask me, when did you decide you were going to write a book and why did you decide you were going to write a book? I, I feel that I should have some sort of deep, meaningful, um, important answer to that question. And I don't. Um, you know, I don't have anything profound to say. There's no deep meaning. I, I've always loved to write. There was a period in my life when I thought I might wish to be a writer. Um, and, and so I thought writing a book would be a wonderful, wonderful adventure and, and obviously didn't make that decision until after I left the organization. And, and I do want to clarify one thing, because if I've in any way given the impression that I was the first woman um, in that owner's room. I want to be clear that I believe there may well have been women related to ownership that were in the room before I was. In other words, the wife of an owner, the daughter of an owner. I don't know that to be the case, but I do want to be respectful in case it was the case that um, ownership family was in the room. We'll talk about the book more in a moment, but at what point when you were growing up, or was it later when you were in college that you decided, I want to work in sports? Well, I fell in love with a game of football when I was in junior high. 
um, something about the game just captured my attention and my interest. It struck me, and by the way, I was with the organization, um, if we include my internship, almost 30 years. Wow. And I note that because it still strikes me today, after all this time, football is a game of chess played by very, very large, strong, fast individuals. But it's a very, very cerebral game. And I fell in love with the game, as I noted when I was in junior high. I I went uh, to college in Northern California. I'm a Cal Berkeley grad. And while at Berkeley, the Raiders were in Oakland. And I just fell in love with everything about the team for, for many reasons we can discuss if you want. But I fell in love with the team, and then it was um, serendipitous, if you will, that when I returned to Southern California for graduate school, the team came to Southern California as well. I want to stay on your childhood for a moment. In the book, you have a, a poignant story about a teacher that you said changed your life, Mrs. Hernandez and how she believed in you. And maybe you could uh, tell a little bit about why she was such an impactful figure in your life. Sure. Um, Jean Hernandez, and, and I, I um, she did. She changed the trajectory of my life. We often talk about um, teachers and that a teacher can change the trajectory of a child's life, and she certainly did that for me. I was labeled a behavior problem in kindergarten, and you know what? That label was probably fair. I don't believe we should label children. I don't believe we should label anyone. Um, so while perhaps I shouldn't have been labeled, I'll raise my hand and say, yeah, I was probably a behavior problem. And that label stuck with me from kindergarten throughout high school. And, you know, I was the kid that, that barely did enough to barely get by in school. Um, and, and certainly, I should say, by my family's standards of what was expected of the kids, in terms of achievement and grades, I was odd man out. I did not follow in the path of my siblings, and I did not, look, I didn't even do homework. I didn't even bother (laughs) bringing books home with me. And I barely squeaked through in some instances, some classes, and I just remember in 10th grade sitting in in Mrs. Hernandez, I look at that, you know, all these years later, I still call her Mrs. Hernandez, um, sitting in class, and it was the first week or so of school, and I was, again, acting up and acting obnoxiously and, and misbehaving in class, and she just pointed this finger at me, and it looked like a talon. And she just pointed at me and pointed outside, and she stood there with me, and she let me have it. And as she just gave me hell for my behavior and my attitude, something struck me. It struck me that she expected more of me and that she believed that I could do more than perhaps I thought anyone else had ever believed in that setting. So she did. She changed the trajectory of my life. And after I had been with the Raiders a number of years, I I sent her a letter. I sent it to the principal of the school, um, not knowing whether she was still with the school or not, and asked him to send it to her. And I thanked her, and I let her know that... um, but for her, I would not have ended up where I was. That's an amazing story because, you know, you don't know for sure if she got that letter, but it's great that you took the time to write that letter. And then it just goes to show that you never know who's going to kind of get through to you and, and make that impact in your life. We have a lot of college students who listen to our show and, and high school students as well. What advice would you give them, play teacher for a moment, about securing a job in sports and just, you know, Chasing your dreams, so to speak, as you did. 
Sure, and I will answer that in just one moment after I, I react to something you just said, which was um, we never know when um, a teacher or someone will touch a life. Well, you know what? We never know when any of us will touch a life. And we each and we all have opportunities to impact others the way uh, we have been impacted. So that's something I like to keep in mind. And, and it's something I learned over the years with the organization. I would interact with a fan. I would interact with someone in the community. And years later, that person would say to me, I remember when you told me X or when you took time to spend a moment with me. And that was a stark reminder to me that we each have the opportunity to impact one another in very powerful and meaningful ways. And, and we should make sure that we do. And and I um, want to follow up on that for a moment. I work with a lot of athletes and coaches and I've worked in sports as well. And I tell them you have a really difficult job because you've always got to be on because you never know when that moment may come. And if you're impatient with someone or you don't take a, a minute or two to spend with them, they're going to come away with an impression of you. If they never meet you again, that's going to be their only impression of right. you. So it's a very difficult situation yeah. to be in. You're 100% right, because while that may be one of 100 interactions you have that day, right? that is that individual's only interaction with you. And by the way, if you said, you know, as you noted, a lot of high school kids and college kids who are looking to get into um, a career are, are listen, listen to you. And so I would note this, as silly as this may sound um, to your listeners, over my almost 30 years in the league, there was never one instance in which I was photographed with a drink in my hand. Now, I'm not going to tell you there was never an instance in which I had a beer <laughs> in my hand or some such thing. But I always made sure to put it down before a picture was taken. Sure. Again, not knowing where that picture might go. And and I, I do think when you are in the public eye, that that's a silly little example, and certainly there's nothing wrong with had I had I been photographed in that manner. But it's sort of my way to underscore that I was always very cognizant that you were available for public review. Uh, as to your question, I'm often asked by young women, how does a young woman get an opportunity in sports? And my answer is twofold. Number one, or, or let me phrase it differently, I'm often asked, what is your advice to young women looking to get into sports? And I said, you know, number one, my advice to young women is precisely the same as my advice to young men. There's no magic. There's no difference. Work hard. Work really, really hard. And when you think you can't work any harder, find a way to work harder. Because I do believe that hard work matters. And I believe that my work ethic was something that resonated with Al. The other piece of advice that I give young women, which is different than that which I give young men, is stop thinking about the fact that you're a woman. Do your job and do your job without regard to gender. It's there was never a time I walked into an NFL's owner's meeting or a meeting of Raider ownership or a player meeting, a, a football meeting, thinking about the fact, I'm a woman, I'm a woman. 
why would I give any thought to my gender? Because, of course, if I didn't want others to be giving thought to my gender, if I wanted others to regard me without respect to gender, then it really seems counterintuitive for me to think about my gender. Well, and you say in the book that one of the greatest compliments that you got from Al Davis was that he didn't consider you a woman. He didn't think about you and your gender. He thought about you as an executive, and you said that was high praise from Al Davis. Well, it was one of um, the most special moments of a career packed with special moments. And and the context was we were in our offices in the conference room, and we were um, set to meet with a, a group of business people, and they came in and um, among the group of business people that came in was a businesswoman. And Al entered the room, and he was greeting everybody and meeting everybody and talking. And a number of us on Raider staff are in the room. And I hear Al say, um, you know, I, I apologize. He says to the woman, you know, I'm sorry if I swear. I, I try very not hard not to swear in front of women. And I look around the room, <laughs> what is he talking about? And I'm giving everybody this look like I, I have just... I have an incredulous look on my face, and and frankly, I was being very dramatic and and overemphasizing my incredulity. And then I hear him say, but even if I swear in front of a woman, I would never swear at a woman. Well, at that point, I'm I'm no longer feigning how incredulous I am, and my my mouth is open, and my jaw has dropped, and I throw my pencil and my pen in the air, and it lands with a thud. And he looks over, and he said... Oh, Amy, I swear at Amy, but I don't consider her a woman. (laughs) And isn't that what we want? Right. Don't we all want to be regarded without respect to gender, ethnicity, race, religion, all of those characteristics which have no bearing whatsoever on whether we can do a job? And there he was saying he didn't consider me a woman, and I I just love that moment. Another thing you write about in the book is the late Gene Upshaw, and he told people, she's not a girl, she's a raider. What are some of the qualities? If I said, give me three adjectives of what a raider is, what are those adjectives? Wow, um, what a stupendous question. I don't know how I would boil this down into three. Um, I'm going to, my my first sentence is going to count as one word, okay? Okay. Um Standing up for the courage of one's convictions. Okay. I'm counting that as one word. Um, different. Different. We always said there's 30 teams in the, there's 31 teams in the NFL and then there's the Raiders. Different would be word number two. And word number three would be, wow. I stumped you, huh? Yeah, you did. I guess, you know, number one, I could boil down into, you know, courage of convictions. Number two is different. And three, kind of fierce. Let me go with three Fs. Fierce, fiery, and, and ferocious. There you go. I count that as one word, too. That's a, uh, that's a brand somewhere. I'm seeing that somewhere. You need to reach out to your friends at the, at the Raiders now and, uh, I'm seeing a t-shirt or a brand somewhere. Those are, those are three well, we did, good adjectives. We did, we did make a, um, a t-shirt while I was with the team. We did have the t-shirt made up 
there are 31 teams in the NFL, and then on the back it said, and then there's the Raiders. And then other teams started making them as well, so we ditched the shirts because they were no longer special. <laughs> so in the book, I, one of my favorite parts of the book is just your relationship with Al Davis. And I know we could probably do hours just on that and Al Davis, but... Describe Al Davis, and I'm asking you to do the impossible in, in just a few minutes. To me, you know, he, I, I think of a maverick. I think of someone who was ahead of his time. Um, I think of someone who was a, a great champion for others. Am I accurate with those assessments? Um, I think you are, um, very, very accurate. Um, there's, there's nothing you said, um, or let me state it differently. As you were speaking, I, I was nodding. Um, let me share with you one misconception or misperception about Al. Um, I think goes a, a bit of a ways to explaining something about him. There is a perception that he will not tolerate anyone who disagrees with him or he will not harbor any disagreement whatsoever. If that were the case, I would have been fired <laughs> two or three weeks into my job. Okay. Because I, I, I'd been with an organization, um, you know, as noted, only two to three weeks. I was sitting in an office with the person to whom I reported, and Al, or, or one of the people to whom I reported, I should say, but someone more, far more senior in the organization, and Al walked in, and he just lit into this person, just lit into him like I can only imagine a velociraptor would rip into flesh. Ooh. And after listening for a few minutes, I said, excuse me, you're wrong. And I will never forget the look on his face as his head swiveled towards me. I I can't even describe the look on his face. And I I said, look, if the facts upon which you were basing your conclusion were correct, well, then that's a fair conclusion. You're right. But you are basing your conclusion on incorrect data and information. And, you know, he got angry and he, you know, he raised his voice and I don't have a dainty voice in the best of circumstances. And <laughs> I raised my voice and he yelled and I yelled and he yelled and I yelled and, you know, he swore. But something in me told me two or three weeks into the job, I better not swear yet. Um, and we went back and forth for quite some time. I later learned that people had come out of their offices and gathered in the hallway to, to listen to this. It's a showdown. And at the end. And at the end of this, you know, discussion, if you will, he looked at me, he said, oh, oh, okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. And that's it, we were done. And what I, you know, maybe that set up a paradigm for an almost 30-year working relationship. Maybe it didn't, I, I don't know from his perspective. But what I did learn and what I think may be helpful to your listeners is when you want to disagree with someone, even someone who is perceived by many as not tolerating disagreement, bring data. Arm yourself with information. Don't disagree simply to disagree. Make sure that when you disagree, you have the, the data to buttress your argument. Now, look, it doesn't mean you're going to win every argument, and you need to understand that as well. You know, I would say over the course of almost 30 years, I disagreed with Al more than I agreed with Al. Um, but at the end of the day, I recognized he owned the team. I did not. So once a decision was made, even if that decision was contrary to what I thought was correct, it was my job to effectuate it as best I could for the organization. 
The other thing I'll say from working with high-profile people and people with lots of money is they tend to surround themselves with yes people, as I call them. And if you have the courage to stand up to that person for what you think is is the right answer, at the end of the day, I think they respect you more for standing up to them than if they see, oh, it's just another someone who agrees with me all the time. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. I do agree with you. And and what always fascinated me is um, there were people who perceived that Al surrounded himself for the most part with people who agreed with him Mm. and that I was the thorn in his side. I was the aberration. I'm not sure that was the case. So in other words, to answer you, I agree with absolutely everything you said. But in some instances, I wonder whether people affirmatively choose to surround themselves with people who agree with them or whether people who are just a little tough to, to argue with, whether it's the people around them who just decide the path of least resistance is to agree. So in that regard, to follow what you said, if you want to disagree, disagree because, A, it may set you apart from the people who choose to be agreeable in all instances, but have your data. If you're going to disagree, make sure you've got important bases for your disagreement because that will resonate. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Our guest is Amy Trask. She worked for 30 years for the NFL's Oakland Raiders. She is the author of a new book called You Negotiate Like a Girl, Reflections on a Career in the National Football League. Amy, I know we just have a little bit of time remaining. I want to go with some some quick-hitting topics and get your responses to these topics, if that's okay. Let's start with the fact that the Raiders and Las Vegas are, I would say, having more than a a flirtatious relationship at this point. A $750 million stadium plan has been approved to try and attract the team, get them to move from Oakland. You know better than anyone that the, you know, the fight for a new stadium in Oakland has been a long, long battle. At the end of the day, for the Raiders organization, not the fans, but the Raiders organization and the NFL, would it be a good thing if the Raiders moved to Las Vegas? Um, I, I agree with you. I don't believe it's simply a flirtation. Um, I don't believe that the discussions and the proceedings, that which is going on in Las Vegas, are designed simply to um, spur Oakland to action. I believe the team, I believe the organization, when it says we intend to go to Las Vegas, I don't think they are um, doing that just to gain leverage. Look, actions speak louder than words. The organization committed tremendous, tremendous resources to trying to um, effectuate the deal in Carson with the San Diego Chargers. That did not come to be, and now the organization is pouring tremendous resources into the deal in Las Vegas. Look, if Nevada comes through with three quarters of a billion dollars, um, and yes, that's billion with a B, right? Um, and I say that teasingly because someone once said that in a funny context, but <laughs> if Nevada does come through with three quarters of a billion dollars, that is a very, very hard deal to turn down, hard for the team to turn down, hard for the league to turn down. That said, the league is now working very, very hard to generate something in Oakland. Ronnie Lott and Rodney Pete, both of whom I think extremely highly of their terrific businessmen. I had the opportunity to work with Ronnie in a business capacity after he stepped off the field. 
the league is working with Ronnie and Rodney and that group to try to get something done in Oakland. But look, California um, is never going to be, no matter the municipality, able to compete with a $750 million um, did I, did I say $750 billion before? No, you I said $750 million. I did, okay, which is close to a billion with my B. Um, but but no, no place in California is going to be able to compete with a $750 million um, uh, subsidy, if you will. So I do believe Las Vegas is a real possibility. I don't know that it will come to be because there still remains a lot of work to be done. All of that said, if there's one team in the league that could thrive in Vegas, I do believe it is the Raiders. I would agree with you. Next topic, NFL TV ratings are down so far this year. About two years ago, Mark Cuban had some comments that got a lot of publicity. He said that he feels like the NFL is oversaturating the market and that eventually ratings would decline. Is that what we're seeing now, or is it a case that Peyton Manning retired. Tom Brady hasn't played yet. There's politics going on right now. You look at, you know, next Monday night and you've got the debate with Trump and Clinton. So you can see how that would hurt the ratings. Is there oversaturation or is it just kind of a perfect storm of, of conditions this year? Mark Cuban may well be right, but I believe it's too early um, to determine whether or not he is for some of the reasons you just said. I don't think we can look at a two-week microcosm and extrapolate from that sweeping conclusions. The Emmy, the Emmys rating, the rating for the Emmys was down this year as well. Right. Um, I don't know whether it was a historic low or not. I just know the rating for the Emmys was down as well. So I note that not to draw a one-to-one comparison between the Emmys and football, but to buttress the point you are making, which is it may just be that there are a lot of other things going on. It may also be when we look at football or the Emmys or any other ratings, that what we are seeing is a continuation of cord cutting and people no longer sitting down to watch television the way they once did, but absorbing content in a different manner. And so I will say this, even with lower ratings, um, the league is still what, NFL football is still what delivers eyeballs in the quantity it does. Next topic, should NFL players have fully guaranteed contracts? We look at, you know, this is a, a short career span for the average NFL player. They play a very physical sport. Should the contracts be fully guaranteed like they are in the NBA and Major League Baseball? Well, I don't know if you're asking, should they be from a business standpoint or a moral standpoint or, or you know, look, the fact is that the players, the next time the CBA comes out, have every right to make that an issue at the forefront of the negotiations and to use all of the leverage and bargaining power they have to make that a primary focus. But until they do, the owners are not going to guarantee contracts. The contracts are a subject of a collective bargaining agreement, and if that is something on which the players wish to focus their energy, um, then, then they should. There's a lot of talk about focusing energy on the discipline system, And while that's a fair enough comment, let's remember the discipline system only impacts a relative handful of players because the vast, vast majority of the thousands of players in the league each year are terrific men who are never going to run afoul of the discipline issues. Um, So maybe they should focus energy on guaranteed contracts. 
I always say it's billionaires versus millionaires in those situations, in work stoppages. Don't you think the owners just sit down on their billions and say, we're not giving in, and, and the players don't get those guaranteed contracts? That's a hard battle for them, isn't it, at this point? It's a, you're, you're so, so right. It is a very, very hard battle, and I don't know that they can succeed entirely. Perhaps um, if they strive for guaranteed contracts, they may achieve something on a spectrum of one to ten, one being unguaranteed, two being fully guaranteed. Um, I think you're right. They don't ever get to fully guaranteed, but maybe they can move a little bit away from one on that spectrum. Look, you know, people say all the time, well, then the players should just sit out. They should just strike. That's a tough thing to say to someone who recognizes that his career is, by definition, on average, very, very short. We all think of players like Peyton Manning, who had very, very long careers. Most players have relatively short careers. On average, they are very short. Um, and some players who would be asked to strike are at the end of those careers. So that is a tough, tough thing for players to do. What are the three biggest challenges the NFL faces over the next two to three years, in your opinion? Well, um, I, I think the, the primary one is the um, concussion issue. And I'm often asked, Amy, do the owners really care about the concussion issue? Of course they do. And this is a business radio show. So you know and, and your listeners know that irrespective of whether a human cares about that issue for what we might um, phrase as the right reasons or moralistic reasons, and by the way, some owners and lead executives do care about that. But setting that aside, if you owned an asset worth a billion or so dollars and there was a perceived or actual threat to your business, you bet you'd care about addressing that threat and solving the problem. So even if owners don't care, and many, many, many of them do, for human reasons, they sure care about protecting their assets. So I would say concussions, number one, and you might even say, and I don't mean to be cute, that's number one, two, and three. I think that is the biggest issue um, by, a, by a big margin. Uh, the television issue you just addressed, and I'll talk about that, and I'll make this issue two and three. Television number two, and then alternative means of consumption number three. And those are bound together because as we continue to move away from what was traditional television viewing, the league has to continue to explore and navigate alternative means of sharing content over-the-top, um, video-on-demand, Twitter, social media, all of those things are, are going to have to be um, explored some more. I know you have just a few minutes left. What was the deciding factor to get you to join Twitter? I know you were kind of hesitant about it, but now you're one of my favorite follows, at Amy Trask. I, you know, again, I wish I had a great answer. I swore when Twitter first started and I left the organization and I joined CBS and Someone in CBS said to me, well, Amy, you know, you're going to go on Twitter, right? I am never going on Twitter. Never, ever, 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 ever going on Twitter. I'm just not doing it. And I carry it on at great length. You know, just like how I swore I'd never go on television. <laughs> um, once I decided to go on Twitter, and I don't even know why I chose to do it, but I, I had a what the heck moment and I went on. I swore I'd hate it. I think I even tweeted out how much I'd hate it. Well, let me tell you something. I have found my mothership because I have taken to Twitter 
like a bee to um, pollen. I love it. <laughs> and again, at Amy Trask, I love the people who use the hashtag Princess of Darkness when they're talking to you as well. Another nickname that you've uh, gained along the way, I guess. And the last thing I'll ask you is, I rescued my dog with my daughter, and I know that you're heavily oh, involved you. in uh, animal rescue. How did you get involved in that? Well, I've always been very passionate about animal rescue in so many ways. I, we could take so many lessons from dogs and, and even cats, too. I mean, most people don't think of cats as teaching us important worldly lessons. But I think we, you know, as humans, we could learn so much from animals. And um, while with the Raiders, um, Tony LaRussa, who then was with the St. Louis Cardinals at the time, he asked me to join his board of directors of his Animal Rescue Foundation, or as Tony um, and the organization, we call it ARF. And I joined Tony's Animal Rescue Foundation and just had a wonderful opportunity last week to bring a pack of dogs on television to support Ron Rivera and his wife, Stephanie Rivera, in some animal rescue programs they are doing down in Charlotte. And I got to say, that was the most fun I've ever had on television, surrounded by seven dogs. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for taking the time to join me. I've got an 11-year-old daughter. She's very involved in sports. She looks up to people like yourself. I've had Jeannie Buss of the Lakers on the show. Chris Everett was on a few weeks ago. And yeah. t- to be able to show her strong examples of women who have succeeded in sports and in their careers it's uh, it's great. So thank you for taking the time to join me on the show. Best of luck with the book. Again, You Negotiate Like a Girl, Reflections on a Career in the National Football League. You can find it at Amazon.com and in bookstores. Follow Amy on Twitter, at Amy Trask. Amy, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me on it. It is a privilege and a pleasure. That's not simply hyperbole on my part. And as to your daughter, she's one lucky young woman because the role that a father plays in um, showing and, and, and teaching and demonstrating to a young girl that she can be whatever she wants to be and that she should dare to dream is a pivotal, pivotal role. So that's one lucky young young girl. Well, thank you. I always tell people there's no more important job that I'll ever have in this world in my lifetime than being her dad. So uh, well, I take it very way, seriously. By the way, you mentioned that she's 11? Yes. Well, get ready for some fun. Because were I my parents, when I turned 12, when you hit that, you know, when you hit that 12, 13, 14 year, you know, were I my parents, I'd have sent me away. So good luck, friend. I'll be direct messaging you for advice on a, on a frequent basis. Feel free. Feel free and good luck. Thanks, Amy. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR, powered by Sprinkler, after this. Hi, it's Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. Did you know that Super Bowl 50 broke the record for single-day Wi-Fi usage and beat last year's record before halftime? And then nearly 80% of fans use their mobile phones during live sports events? Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. And that is why major venues around the country work with Boingo Wireless to manage their wireless networks. Boingo knows fans, and they know how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. Boingo designs, installs, manages, and monetizes wireless networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Chicago. 
Chicago Soldier Field and Phillips Arena, home of the NBA's Atlanta Hawks. Boingo is the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless services so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Sports Business Radio has teamed up with Boingo to bring you monthly stadium stories focused on how technology is changing the business of sports. I will speak with Boingo and their partners, including athletic directors, venue owners, leading sports marketers, and industry influencers who will share valuable insights you'll want to tune in for. For more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks to our guest, Amy Trask. Just a fantastic career with the Oakland Raiders. I think one of the brightest minds in sports. Again, pick up her book, You Negotiate Like a Girl, Reflections on a Career in the National Football League. Follow her on Twitter. She's one of my favorite follows, at Amy Trask. Brian Griggs, uh, great conversation with Amy. Enjoyed it. Great stories in her book. And I would encourage people to pick it up. For sure, yeah. She, uh, she's just so well spoken. I mean, and she, you guys both had good questions back and forth even. And, uh, it's, uh, she had some very interesting things to say about the NFL. I mean, 30 years working with the Raiders, she knows it. She knows the business. And obviously her stories with Al were, were awesome in the book. Yeah, go pick it up Amazon.com or bookstores for sure. Griggs, I, I made a big purchase this week. Oh yeah? I got the iPhone 7. Oh, so I'm pretty excited. Nice. I had I'm not one of those people who goes out and gets a new phone every time something right. comes out, but right. I had had my iPhone five first generation for like the last four years, so it was <laughs> archaic. It was slow. It was due. The battery <laughs> could hold a charge for like 35 minutes. Yep, even with a Mophie on it. So I was like, this is just not going to work. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a Galaxy guy, so I've always been Android, okay. but I just went from like an S three. To the S7, so I'm, I was just like you. I was okay, way behind. Okay, so obviously you yeah. know the problems yeah. with the S7 because I've been in airports recently, and you know I always talk about word of mouth PR. Sure. So it's bad enough that the Samsung 7 is getting ripped for the faulty battery that mm-hmm. could blow up on TV <laughs> yeah. and in the media, but every time I'm at a gate now, ready to board a plane, they make an announcement, and the <laughs> announcement is if you have a Samsung 7. <laughs> You are not allowed to get on this plane. If your phone is in the on or airport position, turn it off completely. If it's in your checked baggage, it needs to be turned off completely. Like, it's some bad PR (laughs) for the Samsung. (laughs) Meanwhile, you've got iPhone 7, which is beating expectations and sold out right away. But I've got to tell you, look, it's it's already been life-changing for me. (laughs) It's so much faster. It can do so many more things. And the fact that it's water-resistant, I don't plan on going deep sea diving with it, but (laughs) to know that, like, if it did get dropped in a puddle or, you know, I've heard so many of my friends say, hey, my kid dropped my phone in the toilet, and that was the end of it. (laughs) Kerplunk. Yeah. So, you know, you can hopefully get it out of there quickly. Um, and the fact that it has a two hour longer battery life, that's key to me because I don't have time to charge my phone all the time. So I'm running around from one place to the next and I'm at a lot of events. So, uh, I like the longer battery life, but I feel like I, I'm back in touch with, uh, <laughs> new technology. The, yeah, you're in the, you're in the current century now. I like that. <laughs> now here's the other thing. I tweeted out that I got the 256 gigabyte version and mm. people on Twitter were like, WTF, like, <laughs> Do you really need that much? And I'm like, you know, if you look at what I do sure, at yeah. events and press conferences and, and things like that, being able to shoot video and being able to take a lot of pictures and not have to worry. Because yeah. on my last phone, every other day, 
Empty, empty. Yeah, you have no memory. <laughs> Offload your pictures and video. Right. Like, you're getting that constant reminder. Now, hopefully, I'm not going to have to worry about that because 256 gigabytes is some serious storage. I like that. So I like the fact that they jacked up the storage because now uh, I can just shoot away and video away and audio away. And when we're at our road show, yeah. uh, we can shoot pictures and audio. And then the last thing I'll say is this. The camera on this thing is unbelievable. Yeah, I heard it was so, really good. You know, I'm someone, again, who takes a lot of pictures, not only of my daughter, but also for my job and for what we do and to try and give people a behind the scenes, which you can find on Twitter at SB Radio. But I love the camera on here. It's it's a marked improvement over the cameras previously on the iPhone. And I heard they uh, they improved Siri a little bit, too. They did. And she I'm going can... with uh, British Siri right now. Yeah. <laughs> and the nice thing is you can just go. So when you sign up on and you you know go through all the steps to start your phone. Uh, she gets your voice. Yeah. So now all I have to do, I don't even have to touch my phone or be around. I just go, hey, Siri. Yeah. And then, oh, and here she goes. She just lit up. She I just lit up. <laughs> so she's asking here. I love it. You'll probably hear like what she can help me with here. <laughs> but I heard that she can go into apps now too, like Uber. She can get you a ride set yep. up just by going yeah. through the app. No, Siri awesome. is, is much better yeah. on this version yeah. of the phone. And I've got British Siri going. I'm not a big fan of American Siri. I like British Siri or uh, Australian Siri oh, yeah, is also another option. Like so, uh, for the record, my, my girlfriend is American, so I do like American <laughs> voices. But I kind of like having the option of a yeah, British yeah, Siri and Australian yep. Siri. Mix it up a little bit. Yeah. All right. So, lots of thank yous on the show this week. Amy Trask, thank you to her, our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thank you to our friends at Sprinkler for powering sports business radio. Follow them online at sprinkler.com. That's S-P-R-I-N-K-L-R.com. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our sports business radio roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. We hope to have some news shortly about our upcoming roadshows. They could be very, very exciting, so stay tuned for that. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio, or rate it in the top 100 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom and via TuneIn, Radio, and Stitcher apps. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Our Twitter feed was named to the top 50 sports business must-follows by Forbes.com for 2015. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business. Radio. Hello, everyone. Mark King here, president of Adidas Group North America. One of the most inspiring parts of my job is the conversations I have every day with extraordinary people who are shaping the sports landscape. I talk to athletes, league executives, athletic directors, and agents, and now I'm bringing these conversations to you through my new podcast series, Extraordinary Happens competing in sports, business, and life. This series dives deeper into what inspires the people who are leading change in sport, both on and off the field. I want to know what makes them tick and uncover how they're challenging convention to make extraordinary things happen for their teams, their businesses, and themselves. And I want to share those stories and insights with you. Tune in to my bi-weekly episodes of Extraordinary Happens on iTunes and Stitcher. And remember, get out there challenge each other, lead change, and make extraordinary happen.